This podcast is not to be considered legal or tax advice. The sole purpose of this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult with a local professional when seeking the advice of counsel. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Friday, February 1st. My name is Ben Orenstein. I'm here today with Dennis Najar. Hey, Dennis. Hey, Ben. How are you doing today? Good, thanks. So, Dennis, why don't you start off by telling us what you do? All right. Well, my name is Dennis Najar. I'm one of the co-founders of accountingdepartment.com. Mm-hmm. We provide bookkeeping and accounting services services to businesses throughout the United States, as well as now uh, internationally. Interesting. How's business? Business is great. Everybody needs to do books. Yeah, I believe it. So you you have international clients as well? We do. Um, We've got this streak going all of a sudden. We just picked up somebody in Central America uh, and uh, a couple in Russia, believe it or not. We've had uh, some in in South Africa and uh, one in Spain. So they're kind of coming out of the woodwork, if you will. Aren't aren't the laws and regulations different enough in these different countries that it's hard to just pick up a new client from there? Well, actually, they're all trying to do business here in the United States. Oh, gotcha. So they're trying to comply with the, the rules that we have. Interesting. So if I run a business outside of the U.S., what what am I required to do in terms of U.S. laws? Well, if you're if you're not operating here, there wouldn't be anything. But mm-hmm. so these uh, companies are, you know, they've got a, a business set up, uh, let's just say Russia. So we've got two Russian clients. They're providing some consulting services, IT related, mm-hmm. and they've established some connections here. The companies here want to deal with a U.S. company. Mm-hmm. So they they just create a front end. They create <laughs> a U.S. Uh, business, if you will, a corporation or an LLC. Yep. And uh, then they're interacting with the U.S. business and the back end, the Russian company in this case, is actually doing all the actual programming or IT service. Sneaky. So these are shell corporations. Pretty much. The money goes in and out. Yep. <laughs> awesome. So you're enabling international fraud is what you're telling me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're, we're definitely part of that. That's is, this good. Record- is this being recorded, by the way? Oh, yeah. Well, and it's being sent to thousands of people. Great. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing we didn't use your real name, right? Yep. Sure. <laughs> So um, what are the tools of the trade for a CPA? Uh, well, today... Slide rules and um, checkbooks? Yeah, no more. It's all electronic, man. Uh-huh. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't lifted a pencil in years. Uh, I, I think one, there's one buried in the bottom of my, uh, my drawer someplace, this beautiful lead pencil that I've had since probably my college days. Mm-hmm. But don't touch it very much, nor a pen. So we do everything you know, electronically. Mm-hmm. Has that made life a lot easier? You know, it's a lot faster. Um, things are more connected. Um, it, there, there's obviously less paper that you're shuffling. Um, everything is just right in front of us. You know, we're virtual. Our company has been virtual since we started. Mm. That's the nature of what we had to do in order to be able to serve businesses throughout the country. Um, so we really haven't even had a need for paper. Hmm. Interesting. So what does running a virtual uh, accounting company entail then? Uh, well, it starts with people. Um, so one of the decisions that we made from the beginning was who was actually going to deliver the services for us. So I don't mean to you know sound corny or anything, but you know we had the option, like a lot of businesses, we could offshore it, sure, you know, send it overseas, um, or set up we, a shell corporation. Uh, well, kind of, yeah. yeah. We could hire an Indian company or a uh, Central American company. I mean, they're they're all over the world now, providing uh, services to other parts of the world. Yep. Uh, so we had that option, or we could, you know, grow it domestically, if you will. So onshore it, and we uh, made the decision that we we wanted to have number one, we wanted these 
staff to be our employees. Uh, why do we want them to be employees? Because it gives us a little bit more control, but also it's more sense of security for the clients. They're knowing that these people are not independent contractors. So, you know, they're subbing the work to us. We're subbing it to somebody else kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Rather that, you know, it's a company that they hired. Um, and, you know, frankly, the corny part is we create jobs in America. Um, you know, we've hired people uh, all over the country and, and most of them are in remote areas. So there's a lot of talent here. And unfortunately, some of the talent is stranded. They're stranded in areas where there's not a lot of job opportunities or where they would have to travel, uh, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour to get to a job every day. Mm-hmm. So the idea of working from home is very appealing. So we've got a large talent pool to, to draw from here, right here in the United States. Hmm. So I imagine you probably don't meet a lot of your clients face to face then. Uh, very few. Uh, we do. Bill and I, uh, my partner, we do a, a road trip or two a year. Uh, we're we're kind of uh, positioned in in the hot spots of the United States, you know. So there's New England, uh, New York area. There's uh, the the Florida, Georgia area. Then you've got a lot of a lot of clients out on the West Coast and some in the middle in, Ch- in Chicago. So we'll we'll typically do one or two trips a year, and we'll make a road trip out of it. And we'll stop and see clients and spend uh, you know an hour or two with them, lunch, breakfast, dinner, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, we're we're doing just like this. We're working remotely. Mm. So then, then what does an average day look like for you? For me, I'm a I'm an administrator now. I used to be a CPA, um, so I guess I would say I'm a pencil pusher. But we just talked about it. I didn't have a pencil. Mm. Um, the average day is is um, the staff is interacting with clients. So every bookkeeper um, handles anywhere from three to six clients. Uh, they've got a routine set up with them. They're uh, they've got certain responsibilities they have to uh, take care of, and so they're just delivering the service day in and day out at that kind of a level. It's not just data entry. It's really, you know, understanding what the client's needs are and, and getting ahead of some of the uh, bookkeeping and accounting things that, uh, you know, business owners, frankly, are, are not n- not always interested in, um, maybe because of a skill set, but they definitely don't have the time for it because they're running their business. Hmm. So this is such a commonly needed service. Is there sort of a commoditization of this kind of thing? Um, well, at a certain level, there is. Mm-hmm. So the smaller the business, the less their true accounting needs are. Mm-hmm. Um, as the business begins to grow and gets to the five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar range, then bridges over to the across the million dollar range, their needs become greater. So we have some clients in the smaller group, what we would call a monthly client, someone who really doesn't need us to do much on a day-to-day basis. You know, they can pay their own bills, they generate their own invoices through, you know, something like Harvest uh, or other online, you know, programs for invoicing. And then at the end of the month, they just don't have the expertise to pull it all together. Mm-hmm. Then we come in on what we call an after-the-fact basis and we'll take their banking, take their credit cards, compile it into the accounting records and give them a set of financials so that they can then uh, you know, look and see what their business has done or, or make some decisions about what they need to do with their business. As the business grows, um, they probably move into what we call more of a, uh, a weekly service. That is, they can't really go a whole month. Um, there's things that they want to have done for them that right now they're probably getting a little too busy to do. So, for example, keeping track of their payables. Mm-hmm. They need their banking updated more than just once a month. So then they start to give us those sorts of services, and we'll we'll scale out a, a service agreement that will provide for them some sort of weekly level of contact where we'll – 
update their banking, update their credit cards, record their sales invoices, and make sure all their bills are uh, processed and uh, you know ready for them to pay. Mm. And then the third step is where that business says, you know what, I, I can't even work with somebody just once a week. I, I need somebody to take care of stuff that comes up literally every day. Uh, and so I need somebody to take care of sales invoices. I want payables processed on a daily basis. I need to know where my banking is. Payroll has to be taken care of. And so we now move up to that, what we call our daily service, where we provide somebody on a literally on a daily uh, basis to work with a client. Mm. So it's a scalable service. We've had clients that have uh, started out as monthly, moved to weekly, and eventually graduated to uh, daily. Uh, and then we've also had the unfortunateness of where a client's business uh, uh, is not doing well. And, and of course, you know they still need to maintain some level of accounting. So we scale back the service from maybe a daily to a weekly hmm. or maybe from a, a weekly uh, all the way down to a monthly until they have uh, you know their business uh, you know, uh, returns again. Do you find yourself... Um as a provider of an outsourced service, sometimes pushing people away and saying, no, actually, no, you need to hire somebody internally. Or is this a service that you can pretty much always outsource? Well, it, you know, I think there's an upper limit to where it makes sense to uh, outsource it. But the, the beauty of what I just described is that it's a, it's a scalable service. So, you know, we've had clients that start out maybe using, I'll just say, our daily service, and they'll say they only need an hour a day. And then for whatever the reasons behind it, their business will will blossom or, or grow, and they'll all of a sudden need more time from us. So we can just simply add more time to an account for one of our staff members. Mm. See, the, the real truth of the matter is when it comes to accounting is, is this. Most businesses do not need a full-time bookkeeper. What happens is that businesses kind of fall into the trap of hiring somebody who is either a Jane of all trades or a Jack of all trades, and that person assumes the bookkeeping function, mm. or they hire a bookkeeper, find out they really don't have the work, and that person then becomes the Jane or the Jack of all trades. Mm. So what you end up with is kind of somebody who in many cases is overpaid and underworked. So you're not really getting enough value for the money you're ultimately paying. The other aspect to it, and, and this is the one that most businesses don't understand until it's presented to them, is, and that is supervision, accountability. You know, when you hire a, a bookkeeper in-house, it's like any other person you hire. It's your responsibility to manage them. And in many cases, business owners don't know enough about bookkeeping to be able to manage the person that's handling the finances of their company. Mm. So our service um, provides not only the bookkeeper, but it provides for supervision. We have uh, accountants and, and, and uh, degreed accountants and certified public accountants on staff, and their responsibility is to supervise, check the work, uh, interface with the client at a more of an accountant's level, and whereas the bookkeeper is interfacing more at the bookkeeper level. So we have this team approach, hence accounting department, because mm. any a business of any size would have an accounting department where they'd have different levels of expertise, skills you know, handling all the different aspects of it. Mm. So, so we sort of touched on this, but if um, I kind of want to go back to what you actually do during the week, if, if you have uh, people actually taking care of the clients, what, what are you doing day to day? Me personally? Yeah. <laughs> Other than sitting on the beach and with your cocktail. With my cocktail and my shorts, um, well, there's a tremendous amount of administration that goes with, uh, you know, with running a business. Um, there's, there's, you should outsource that. 
I should add, well, you can't really outsource some of this stuff, but you know, there are, there are issues. There are, you know, you're running a business, you have uh, client service issues that have to be dealt with. You have client opportunity issues that have to be uh, looked into. Uh, there's personnel things. We have an HR person now. So, you know, there's issues that have to be handled there. Um, sometimes I do wonder, you know, uh, what, what do I do in the course of my daily 12 hour days that I put in? Mm. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's just the running of the business. I'm yeah. not a, I'm not in the business of delivering the services anymore. Um, I'm more, you know, helping to uh, helping to manage it. Do you have any interest in changing this business or, or putting process in place so that you could step back and let it kind of run itself and you just cash the checks? Oh well, that'll happen eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, I, I listen. I don't. I don't actually do the work, so the work, work gets done. That's the key, right? Um, and so down the road, um, you know, the administrative tasks that I have can be divvied up a little bit to other individuals or, you know, cut back in terms of what I ultimately had to be responsible for. But as it stands right now, um, the most important part of any business is generating revenue. And that's what our staff does for us every day Mm -hmm. by delivering the service. Are you are you interested in stepping back like that? No, not really. I don't I don't have it. No, this is a this is the kind of business that you can really do forever. Mm hmm. Uh, so nope, not looking to sell unless you you know you got a big fat checkbook you want to hand over uh, you know a check for. I'll, I'll I don't see any zeros in your Skype message there. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> no, I know that I uh, I'm not interested in consulting businesses. They're terrible business models. We would never do this, something like that. <laughs> so you like your job? It's a good gig. It's a good gig. Yep. What's your uh, What's your favorite kind of client? What's my favorite kind of client? Um, I would say that a, uh, a a client that wants what we do. So there's a difference between wanting what we do and it being a necessary evil. Mm. Um, so listen, we're in, we're in a, a world, a country where there's accountability. And so a lot of the things that we do for businesses is because Big Brother says you have to do them. Mm. Um, Uncle Sam, you call them whatever you want. Uh, so it kind of call, uh, forces clients to, to comply with these things. Uh, and they only look at it as a compliance thing. Then you have certain clients that say, you know what, this is valuable information. This makes my business scalable because I don't have to be tied down. I can lean on accountingdepartment.com to give me information about my business so that I could make the decisions about how to improve it for myself. Hmm. So that sort of a partnership kind of client rather than one that would be more of a, uh, an adversarial, if you will, because they don't view us as, as an asset. They, they view us more as a liability. Right. Uh, putting it in accounting terms yep. would be what I would, would, I, would I would define to be a desirable client. Gotcha. Did you guys have to buy your domain name from somebody else or was it available? No, we had to buy it. Yeah, yeah we, had a, we had a different name uh, when, when we first started. We really struggled with, uh, with selecting a name. Uh-huh. And uh, it's, uh, you know, real quick. And uh, the history of it was, you know, Bill and I went back and forth, my partner, when we first decided to do this and um, couldn't really come up with anything. We, we tried for a, a couple of weeks. So we ended up settling on a company name called um, Outsource It business services um, with with an emphasis on the out you know obviously the outsourcing part mm-hmm. and over time what evolved was we got quite a few hits for companies wanting to contact us for IT services right 
had the word it, which was really not IT as it much was the word it. So we then shortened it down to OSI business services uh, to kind of get rid of the it part of it. Um, and that worked well, but it still felt like it was cumbersome to uh, to kind of convey the message. And we had talked about uh, you know uh, domain names that had some variation uh, of what we ended up with. And eventually we came across it, uh, wrote a check. And, you know, it became ours. Are you comfortable sharing how much that check was for? Um, it was in the, uh, the the thousands. Okay. It wasn't more than 10. It okay. was a reasonable. Yeah. You know, it's, you know the thing about domains, and you're, you're in the in the internet world, uh, you know, the, the, the valuable domains are the ones that have, what, three, five letters. Mm. So this happens to be two full words, which is quite lengthy to type out, you know, when I was kind of signing back into Skype there, uh, I had to retype the darn thing. <laughs> mm, right. You know, so it's a, it's a little bit cumbersome from that perspective, but it does clearly convey what we are. And that's why sure. we decided to go with it. Yeah. Do you get a lot of uh, organic search traffic as in people just like searching for outsourced accounting department that have never heard of you before and see your site and end up becoming clients? Does that happen a lot? Uh, there is a there is a fair amount of organic. We we work very hard on getting uh, listed um, on uh, Google and and the other search engines uh, organically, and mm-hmm. then we do pay. You know, we do make a good investment on a monthly basis to uh, to keep all of our keywords uh, actively uh, hit upon. Huh. And, and how so? By paying. But and then what does that paying get you? Uh, uh, leads. Yeah, we get a, we we get all of our leads through the internet. We have, we don't have a sales force. There's nobody on the street talking. All of our leads are coming from uh, businesses looking, uh, typing in Google. I mean, when was the last time you did uh, did anything other than type in Google when you were looking for something? No matter what the question is, right? I actually meant what what are you getting? What the people that you pay to keep your keywords active or something? What what are they doing for you? Are you do you know? No, I, uh, um, no, that's not something that I handle directly. I'm talking about where we're paying for uh, uh, Google search. You know, we're we're paper pay per click. I guess is the term. Oh, oh okay, Go- yeah. running Google AdWords. Google AdWords, right? So we do a combination gotcha. of uh, organic uh, positioning, uh, moving up the chain, but we also have a lot of keywords that we put out there and we'll pay to get uh, to get leads off of them. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, cool. Do you have so what has been most effective for you for getting new clients? Just the opportunity to speak to someone to share uh, what we do. So you go back to your commodity question uh, a few minutes ago. I don't know that we fully, uh, I fully, really answered that question. Um, but the but as the you know as the world turns, there's always going to be some providers who are going to compete based on a price, mm-hmm. who are going to try to appeal to that end of the market that is simply price shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, and that's just the way of the world. So that's not our target market because that type of person or company or business owner is not apt to stick with the service because they are just that price shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so those are people that have sort of come in the door. What, what are your best channels for getting, making that first contact? Well, we get the we get we get the leads uh, through our website, and uh, from there, you know, literally, my partner Bill, who handles all the sales and marketing, gets on the phone and and offers to give them a presentation, gotcha. a presentation about how we do business and what makes us different. So, if you're purely shopping on price, it won't matter what we say. But if you're comparing two vendors 
uh, us against somebody else, for example, uh, then what we're trying to get to a, a point in that presentation is showing what our process is, mm-hmm. the the infrastructure, if you will, of, of what we've created, what happens behind the scenes. It's not just bring your account here, we'll assign a bookkeeper, and they'll do the work for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I wish it was that simple. But, you know, without the proper infrastructure, checks and balances, accountability, uh, supervision, uh, you, you, a business owner ends up really being in no different of a spot than if they hired somebody internally. Mm. To go back to my comments from before about, you know, what's the shortcoming of doing this in-house? And the shortcoming is, in addition to having somebody full-time who probably doesn't need to spend full-time on it, the other shortcoming is that person has no uh, supervision. Mm-hmm. You know, you might you might have your accountant come in once a year to do your tax return. That means 364 days out of the year that bookkeeper is doing their own thing. Yeah, we've had a number of clients that have actually had bookkeepers steal from them. Yeah, so that's my next question, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a number of cases of fraud uh, that have occurred, and some pretty good sized dollars too. Huh. How do you detect fraud like that? Well, we don't, we don't per se. We're not going to find it. What's happening is there. Uh, the client, the prospect, if you will, um, uh, uncovers it, uh, and then you know they all of a sudden now they want to have a knee jerk reaction, so they look for an alternative solution, uh, and and they, I guess, Google and they find us, and then we do our presentation and we show them how we have these checks and balances and division of supervision and so forth and so on. Um, all the infrastructure, uh, what 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 businesses would call internal controls, that you can't have when you have one person doing everything for a company. So for example, you know, we have a lot of clients that are asking us to do bill pay now. And you know, in a, in a brick and mortar business where that bookkeeper was in house, what would that really mean? That would mean you'd give signature authority over your bank account to your bookkeeper. Mm. So now what you've done, you said to the bookkeeper, here, record all my bills. And by the way, you know, once a week, just pay them. So that's like giving the keys to the candy store to the kid. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no check and balance. When we provide that service, we're very strict about it, and we're going to require that two people be involved in that so that there's um, a segregation of duties. The person who's processing the bills is not the same person who's going to actually release the payments or write the checks. Mm-hmm. Um, it ensures that uh, or helps reduce, if you will, the chances of a of a not only a mistake, but of something being done improperly. Have you guys ever picked up a new client and realized that there had been existing fraud before or something something screwy going on that you have now detected that they didn't know about? Um, not really, because typically we're, we're picking up on a going forward basis. So I think uh, the I couple see. of times it's come up, the business owner has found it. Um, and, uh, and that's what made them, you know, want to make a change. You know, you, the interesting thing about being a bookkeeper is if, if they never want to take a vacation, you have to be suspicious. Hmm. Right. Because that's how you cover your tracks is that you're always there. Right. Makes sense. I have a friend who I think works at State Street Bank. No, he works at State Street Bank. I think this is who the story is about. And, um, you're required to take a two weeks off every year. Everybody is so that someone else can do your job for a little while and potentially notice that you are stealing money. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And your in your average small business, you know, in our space that we're talking about, 
five hundred thousand to twenty million dollars mm-hmm. um, doesn't think that way. You know, they're they're just glad to have somebody there doing the work, and you know, the last thing they're really interested in is that person taking a vacation because it means the work's not getting done. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Interesting. Do you have any uh, favorite stories from the trenches? Favorite stories from uh, any particular type? Uh, safe for podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a pretty boring life. <laughs> <laughs> As a CPA, you're kidding me. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's not really uh, it's not really high society. That's for sure. You're the you're the back end of all this stuff. You know, right. Um, so, so. Who, who are the cool kids that the CPAs are, are jealous of? Is it the MBAs? <clears throat> um, no, I don't really think we're jealous of the MBAs. It's two different worlds, if you will. Okay. I mean, we're the, we're, 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 I guess we would, if you had to characterize us, we'd say we're the historians. Mm. Our job is to capture the history of what's happened so that the MBAs can then look into the future with it. Mm. Gotcha. So, yeah, two different disciplines. So you're the, the chroniclers of time. Uh, unfortunately, that's uh, for the most part, that's what we're doing, capturing the information for posterity's sake. Gotcha. And the occasional bits of embezzlement. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Nice. Um, so I have a, uh, a question that we, we, we solicited questions from our listeners, and I have one. I don't, I'm not sure if this would be totally um, answerable by you, but if it is, take a crack at it. If not, that's fine, too. Um, the question was, as a freelancer, what should I do if a business doesn't give me a 1099? How should I report it? Well, um, the, the 1099 reporting uh, system is really intended f- for the government to uh, know when a company is paying a freelancer. Mm-hmm. That, that, re- that 1099 or lack thereof is not the mechanism that determines whether or not you should or should not report the income. I mean, you are, as a business, you are required to report all of your income whether you do or do not receive a 1099. Mm. So it's not really a function. It's a way for the government to kind of get a sense of, did you report all of your income? And that income being the income that was reported to them. So we've had situations over the years where, especially smaller companies dealing with larger companies, um, you know, that's a lot of what happens out there in the world. You know, small companies are providing services to big companies. And so big companies will make payments to small companies, especially at the end of the year, because they have a budget, they have to clear it out. If they don't spend the budget, then they don't get reallotted the same amount or, or more the next year. And so a 1099 gets generated for an amount that the check may have been issued December 31st. Mm-hmm. Well, the business doesn't get that until January the 3rd. It's on the 1099. The 1099 goes to the government. The government then tries to match it up to the tax return and says, well, you got paid $100,000 in 2012, but you only reported 40. How come? Mm. And they'll say, "It's well, I didn't get that check. Well, we got this 1099. So you've got that reconciliation that has to be, you know, taken into consideration with 1099. So the short answer is, irrespective of whether you get a 1099 or not, you are required to report all the revenues that you receive. Okay. Um, so Dennis, one last question. If, if everything goes well, if the business turns into exactly the kind of success you want it to be, and life goes directly to plan, what, what does that look like in five years? Well, who says it's not a success now? Well, I no one. 
Oh, okay. Say it keeps uh, going. See, say everything is is your your dreams all come true. I mean, are you are you already there? Do you have additional goals in the future? Just to continue to build a business. Our our plan is uh, we're currently around fifty employees. We plan on building it to two hundred and fifty employees. There's really no limit. It's as scalable as we want it to be from from an employee perspective and from a client perspective, because we're able to just add more clients and add more staff to service those clients. So five years from now, I would suspect I'll be doing the exact same thing. I don't see a reason to change. Great. Hey, yeah. that's, that sounds like a pretty good life. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think that wraps things up. Thanks uh, very much for chatting with me. Well, my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, Dennis, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, well, they can go to our website, www.accountingdepartment.com. There's all the usual contact us information. Mm-hmm. If they wanted to call us direct, our toll-free number is 888-858-9919. And one of the things that's interesting about our website is we actually publish all of our pictures uh, of all the staff. So they can see a, kind of a hierarchy, an organizational chart, and uh, pictures of everyone and, uh, and ways to contact everyone in the company uh, is right on our website. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. So if you'd like to access show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcasts slash 35. Today's podcast was recorded by Anna Mariola, right? Mariola. Edited by Edward Lovell and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening. Thank you.